Well, hello, Bible love. So glad that y'all are with us today for our last installment in our women in ministry um, segment that we've done this summer. It has been so much fun, such a delight to talk to so many fantastic women, most all of who are very dear friends of mine. And today will be nothing less than wonderful. We're going to start off with the prayer attributed to St. Francis. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O God, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Well, listeners, today um, we are in for a treat. We have the Reverend Lathrop Mosley with us today. Lathrop and I both serve in the Diocese of Upper South Carolina. Um, Lathrop is the assisting priest at St. James in Greenville, South Carolina. And over the last couple of months, we've gotten to know each other. And one of the things I really wanted, reasons I wanted to have Lathrop on is because she's very newly ordained. You got ordained in December of 2021. And um, so this is a new calling for you. And I am so glad you're here. Welcome. I am so glad to be here, too, as well. It's been fun to get to know you, Mary Balfour. Yeah, and we're good buds now. We've done Curcio together. We've done a lot of good things, and I'm happy to have. Um, I'm always just so glad when I can have other women in my life that are clergy people and like get what I do and understand what I do and um, all that. So, Lathrop, you and I have a lot in common. One of which is that we are both cradle Episcopalians, grew up in the Episcopal Church. So, kind of tell me about the your church growing up and your church life. And um, really, you had a, a, a long career before another career before you yes. were called into ordained ministry. So talk to me about that. Yes, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida at St. Mark's Episcopal Church, which just turned 100. And I was there for the 100th anniversary celebration in, cool. in, in April, right after Easter. Um, my parents uh, started worshiping there before I was born. And um, so I started off like in the children's choir uh, mm-hmm. when I was in, you know, grade level and then uh, did got into EYC, acolyting, rang in the bell choir, um, very involved in EYC and acolyting. So church, did mission trips, church. was church. on the leadership team, all of all of the things. Um, and then went to Converse here, uh, here in South Carolina in Spartanburg. 
and sort of continued worshiping at the Episcopal Church of the Advent. It was the closest um, Episcopal Church to Converse. But I also went with other friends to other churches, which was a good experience. Um, Let me me stop you. Let me ask you something. So when you were involved in all of those things in high school and like you were like me, you love the church. Those were your people. Were you feeling a call to ordain ministry at that time? Like when, when do you remember feeling like God was tapping you on the shoulder going, you know, you might want to do this full time. Um, Well, actually having listened to several or most all of these um, women in ministry podcasts, um, particularly the ones of the ordained people, um, very similar story. I felt called in sixth grade, which was mid-80s. So like, what, 10 years after women's ordination was approved in the Episcopal Church. And so similarly to some of the other women, I, I hadn't seen a woman. I didn't yeah. know it was a possibility. And my call was kind of vague. It wasn't vague, but it was not like you need to go be a priest. It was more like the church was home and I knew it was, it was going to be home and it was going to be more than being a super involved lay person the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't define it because I hadn't seen a woman priest right. or even a woman deacon. Um, I was fortunate that uh, St. Mark's called a woman uh, my eighth grade year um, to be, she was one of the assistants. She was in charge of Christian education. And so that's when I knew I was allowed to do it. Had no idea what all the steps were (laughs) and what it would involve. Um, And obviously um, I will admit my age on your podcast, Mary Balfour. I will be 49 in the fall Mm -hmm. and newly ordained, uh, newly graduated from seminary just last year. And so life has taken a lot of twists and turns. Um, including uh, meeting my husband and having to prioritize his education, his continuing education, um, his PhD, and just trying to find the right time and stuff that happened with the Episcopal Church in general um, Mm kind of turned me off (laughs) as Mm -hmm. well. So um, long route, but uh, let's see, what year is it? About six years ago, um, St. Christopher's in Spartanburg, which is my uh, sponsoring parish and sending parish, um, called a gentleman and I was on the search committee. In fact, I chaired it. And I knew when we called him that he was either going to outright challenge me and just ask me or by his mere presence, he was going to ask me because I was already feeling restless. Um, my second career, which you referred to, or my first career actually was in higher education, um, college admissions for most of it. Um, 12 years at Wofford, five years at Converse, and then I did a little development work at Converse as well. Um, so, so during all that time later, were you kind of pushing down this call and you just were, you were just living in as like the most engaged lay person you could be? Living in as the most engaged lay person, um, especially with everything that happened with the Episcopal Church. I was like, yeah, I wouldn't touch this with a right. foot pole. Um, and I would find something. So at St. Christopher's, I rang in the bell choir. I was a lector. I was a chalice bearer. I became a verger. I was senior warden and I chaired a search committee and everything I thought would fill that hole. And it never did. That's I figured verging would fill the hole. I was really close to the altar. I was helping kind of um, 
run things. Uh, I had a dear friend who calls us called us ecclesiastical stage managers. So everything went well so that the priest did not have to worry if there was not an acolyte, not an usher, not a whatever. Things were moving smoothly so they could focus on the celebrating and the preaching aspect. Um, so, yeah, really involved layperson. The other thing that happened is I began to realize at Wofford, as much as I loved being there and loved the environment of being on a college campus, um, that I was not an admission counselor. So I wasn't traveling. I wasn't out there. I did get to speak to people. It's not like they kept me locked in my office because, of course, we all helped with events. And I would help when people from Jacksonville would come. Um, to make a good connection. But I realized the closest thing I came to using my gifts and talents were um, calming a parent, calming a student, calming a guidance counselor, calming a teacher. If something was not there, it's going to be okay. We're going to work with you as long as you're, if, as long as you're doing your part and you're, if it was a student staying on your guidance counselor to get their part in. We understand that your guidance counselor has 300 other students they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the closest I came to using my gifts and just being a positive presence in the office. Um, And I also realized, and people in higher ed uh, might get this, might not, but I realized I was not meant to get the rocking chair or the lamp at the end at the retirement. Um, And I realized, no, I can't see myself. I couldn't see myself retiring from Converse. Um, There's only one thing I would like to do at Converse. Well, two now that I'm ordained, chaplain or director of alumni. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really couldn't see myself as much as I love Wofford, um, retiring from Wofford. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was. This new priest comes, you hire this new priest at St. Christopher's. Yes. Right. And did that, is that what happened? That priest challenged you and pushed you and. Pretty much. I, um, I asked for a meeting pretty early on um, because I knew which I was kind of like, OK, we need to talk about this. We need to we just need to move with this. Um, I had already had the conversation with Matt um, after all of that was happening um, and my mom and several other people. Um, and so I actually said, let's have lunch once you get officially on board and settled. I think. Um, Jim and his family were there like mid June. So he had like a month or two months or six weeks before he even started in Spartanburg to get to know the area and to have vacation, to have time with his family, to get, um, his son settled and everything like that. So, but we had a conversation, um, like within a week or two of when he officially started. Um, and so the ball began rolling from there. Um, the, the calendar in the Diocese of Upper South Carolina was changed, so that pushed things back a little bit, um, but that was okay. You know, Jim had to get to know me. Uh, St. Christopher's, I don't think, was very surprised when it came out, although it was kept pretty top secret um, because you never want to tell somebody early on and then things not work out. So, um, right. yeah, it was it was pretty early on in his ministry at St. Christopher's, so. That you went through the discernment committee. That I started the conversation with him, that we started conversations and then went on to um, the diocesan discernment um, the next year, I think in 2016. Yeah. And in the, in the midst of that, you had a tragedy in your life. Um, Your husband died and that, you know, was 
awful and terrible and still something that you deal with. But mm-hmm. you also had to make the decision, you know, do I carry on with this? What would Matt wanted me to do? And, and what did you decide? Um, I was given the advice actually by the, the chair of the commission on ministry at the time, the day of the funeral, as a matter of fact, um, to go on and proceed with discernment. I had called to kind of pause it, if you will. Um, actually, I think either Jim or Ned Morris, who was the rector at Advent where I interned, made that official call. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go on with discernment on a delayed schedule and to at least be granted postulancy and then decide if I wanted to go in the fall of 2018 or I wanted to take a year um, off, continue working, do whatever. Um, and so I decided um, our, our bishop then, Bishop Andrew Waldo, and the Commission on Ministry gave me lots of grace and space that I needed, and I completed it a little delayed, but still was allowed my chance, myself the opportunity to go in the August of 2018. And I decided to go on and do that. Where'd you um, get it? I went to Sewanee, the University of the South, um, to the School of Theology. And I knew based on conversations with uh, another cler- wonderful clergy in our diocese, Mia McDowell, um, who also had a tragedy, but hers happened mid-seminary, that Sewanee, and I knew Sewanee from my family, would be a good place to continue to heal and um, grieve. and But I would have a supportive community up there and still have my community back here in Upper South Carolina. Yeah. So I think it's important to talk about that in a lot of ways because, A, we talked about this first career and, you know, go into seminary in your 40s. And then not looking the way you had planned, you know, with with your husband not um, tragically dying and not being there. And how do you go do that and be a single person? But God gave you the grace and the will and the power and the strength to go and do this. And as you said, it became a very healing experience for you in a lot of ways. So I think sometimes, I mean, it depends on the person, but I, I think sometimes in our grief and our tragedy, like we do need to keep going forward. We do need to, you know, and, and trust that God and the people around us will support us. Right. And that's what happened for you. Absolutely. Um, the, my classmates, there were, um, 14 of us. Well, I think we started with seven, 16 or 17, um, master divinity students, but they were am- uh, amazingly supportive. I actually had a classmate who had lost his spouse, like, a year and a half or two years before mine. So we kind of buddied up and we still, you know, talk to each, all of our class. We all talk to each other, as you know, um, there, we stay close, um, with one another. Um, but this community was hugely supportive, hugely supportive. Um, and that my community here, and I will tell you, and not a lot of people know this, but, um, so Matt worked for the Spartanburg day school and started teaching at one point and then just kind of, Rose, Rose is not the word I'm looking for, but was promoted and was administration. Um, actually really would have been assistant head, although he didn't have the title um, when he died. And um, the head of school um, told, shared with my mom and I, and we're talking like a week after the funeral, probably. We went to go to the day school and see her and take some stuff of Matt's back to the school and everything. She said, you know, one of the things when Matt interviewed for the promotion he said, is that I want to do this so Lather has her time to go and do what she needs to do when she feels supported. Um, we were going to be apart for three years um, because it made sense for him to stay at the Spartanburg Day School, and he had gotten this ninth promotion. Um, he was going to get another salary bump, and so it just made more sense 
because finding a job, if, if any of you know Sewanee, you know that there's not a lot up there. And so finding a job that would be competitive up there for him would have been a challenge. And so um, Rachel Deems, the head of school, shared that with me. And she's like, she said, Matt, we want you to continue this. I love that. And, and that's, she that's reminded me and she was actually at my diaconal ordination. Um, and she reminded me every step of the way when I would go back um, and visit that, this is what Matt would want you to do. Don't yeah. question it. This is what Matt would want. And there are a lot of people there. She's not the only one who was saying that along the way. Um, you got that I, affirmation throughout. Yes. Yeah. I did get a lot of questions. People, I don't know, guess that I decided up and decided after Matt's death to do this. And I had to explain. Now I actually just started, started discernment really in 2015. Yeah, a long ongoing call, obviously, but really it formally in 2015 at St. Christopher's and then through the diocese in 2016, I was like, this is not something I just up and decided to randomly do after Matt died. This was an ongoing process. So, yeah, I'm glad you shared that point, too. Now, when you're in seminary, you're middler year, you're in this fantastic community, (laughs) you're being supported and this terrible thing called a pandemic happened and you had to like y'all had to change and, and learn in a different way and learn online. You all stayed in Swanee, but it was, it was very different, right? It was very different. Um, so I tell people, I can't imagine a better place to ride out a pandemic than Swanee. If anyone is familiar, it is beautiful, lots of hiking, lots of walking. And so what kept me and a lot of seminarians sane was the ability, of course, with that first, well, the second part of that, spring semester of 2020, everybody was virtual. And mm-hmm. as we were, we were doing classes from our um, our apartments, our houses, whatever, at Sewanee. As seminarians, we, you know, a lot of us sold houses, gave up leases to move, so they couldn't tell us to go home because right. Sewanee was home. So we just stayed in our places and did class via Zoom. We all learned Zoom together. Um, but my thing was, as soon as class was out, I was going out to walk. Um, and I had classmates who did it with me. And that's the way we would actually be able to be together. Um, and the summer was very quiet. But then my senior year, we did a combination, a hybrid of online and in person. And we had the option, we didn't have to choose, okay, I'm going to be completely online or completely in person. But we could make the decision from day to day, class to what class. Was best for you. Yeah. What was best for us? Of course, if we were sick, they didn't want us there. Um, but the interesting thing was, unless we were in class in chapel, which was very limited, as with every church mm-hmm. in 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 the in the United States in the world, very limited attendance, or in a meeting, which a lot of them were on Zoom, we couldn't be in the seminary. So, all of our social interactions were significantly um, cut, which was really hard. We did a lot of sitting on porches and small group gatherings. Um, for example, the class that came in my senior year, we, we, we hardly know them. There's a seminarian from Upper South Carolina who's a rising senior now, Tyler. I, the only way I got to know Tyler was through a few social things because we weren't in hanging out in the... Um, in the, right. in the uh, student commons or being able to hang out in the classroom. Um, Sewanee is interesting in that you you are in one class for all of your core classes and the professors come to you. 
So there's a junior classroom, there's a middler classroom, there's a senior classroom, and then your electives, you may rotate. We, we couldn't even do that. And a lot of people would study in their class, in the classroom and treat that as a work day. So it was definitely different. Um, and, and, you know, I could certainly empathize and sympathize with every high school senior last year or right. the year before um, and not getting the graduation I wanted. Uh, we graduated on the football field instead of in All Saints Chapel. So that was different. But we did have like six friends or family members. Um, very different to, to experience a seminary in a pandemic because a lot of the normal seminary things like doing field ed, which is kind of like sort of I would equate it to teachers um, practicums that teachers do. Um, I had six weeks in person and then the pandemic happened and um, I couldn't go in person because Sawani wanted to keep us on the mountain mm-hmm. and keep a bubble around us to really give the undergraduates the best experience they could have. Mm-hmm. So, well, you made it through I and then you were called back to the diocese. Um, fortunately, fortunately, St. James Greenville. And so you were ordained a deacon in June of 2021 and yeah. priest in December of 2021. So you haven't even hit, well, I guess you're just hitting one year as an ordained person. So tell me what that has been like. What is life um, as an ordained person? And do you feel like you are finally doing what God put on your heart as a sixth grader? I do feel like I'm doing what God put on my heart as a sixth grader. It has been interesting. So I am, um, my title is curate, which means priest in training. And um, uh, the rector here has gone to serve the diocese. So the idea of being a curate is that you are mentored by the rector of the church. And um, so I'm in a bit of a holding pattern as we wait for our interim to arrive. And I have been... I think the most interesting thing, aside from just getting to know the people here who are absolutely lovely and wonderful and have been hugely supportive of me, they uh, St. James reminds me a lot of St. Christopher's because it is smaller and you do get to know everybody. It's not um, like a big downtown church right. um, where it's hard to get to know everybody. Um, so um, the worship here is wonderful. As hard as this is, Lathrop, like there is a lot of, I mean, being by yourself right now and kind of being solo, yes. there is there is a lot of goodness in that. Like you're getting to really dig in and enjoy yes. and get to know people. And so I know that's not like exactly what you signed up for, but I do think you're getting a fantastic experience early on. And, um, you know, I was by myself for two years and it was some of the best two years because I just, they just taught me, I was talking to another person. They taught me how to be a priest and mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. And I, I hope you're having that same experience. I am. They have been hugely supportive. The vestry here has been hugely supportive. Um, and I have done, you know, possibly more than I would do um, right. had Stephen still been here. So I um, did the baptisms at Pentecost and I did the whole baptismal liturgy, which was the first for me. Um, I have done a funeral now. That was last week. May have another one before the interim arrives. And I am doing a wedding this weekend. So that's the first as well. Yeah. Um, so all so those sacramental things, how does that feel? That's something that you've been wanting to do your whole, a lot of your life. How does it feel to get to do those things now? It is amazing. I have to pinch myself. And as I told um, at Christmas, 
my mom was here after my ordination. She just stayed from my ordination through to Christmas. And I was sitting, we brought in food between our eight and our 11 o'clock service on Christmas Eve. And I was sitting there. I was like, I have to like compartmentalize because I had celebrated that eight to nine o'clock service, whatever time it was. It's like, I have to cover. If I think too much about what I'm doing, I am going to cry. Yeah. Because I am finally here. Even though I had had a few weeks of celebrating to celebrate on Christmas Eve, I celebrated on Easter. Um, I sometimes have to, to say, okay, don't think about this too much. Or you're yeah. going to get really emotional up there. And I know having talked to priests who have been in it for a while, I'm sure you could say that, Mary Balfour. There's some moments where it still sneaks up on you. And yeah, you still and go, holy crap, I'm doing this. Yeah. And you know what? I feel like because we're in the women in ministry, like I feel like that's one of the beauties of women is that sometimes our emotions are a little bit more um present. I mean, as much as you've been through with losing your husband, like you can be with people when their Mm -hmm. spouses are dying and you know what that feels like. I've talked about this with somebody else, like women that are walking through breast cancer, you know, like we get it, we have breasts, you know, like all those things um, that, you know, I'm so grateful that there are women in this and I have cried celebrating the Eucharist. I have cried at a funeral. I've cried at a baptism. And I'm not sorry for that. I'm glad that my tears have come and I'm glad your tears are coming because it is such an honor. I cannot say this enough to do what we do. And I'm about seven years ahead of you. I've been ordained eight years and I still feel honored. Um, I remember talking to my dad one time and him, I said, you know, he said, the day you need to stop doing it is the day you quit feeling honored by it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, that's, and he was, he's been ordained 30 years, you know? I I just think I'm not saying every day is easy, but that getting to serve God and God's people in this way has been just the biggest honor of my life. And I know you feel that too. And I'm so glad you're finally getting to do it, even at yeah. 47, right? Like that you, it, and I think that's another great example, Lathra, is like it, it. God can call us at any time. Exactly. You know? So thank you for calling, being a part of that and saying yes to God's call for being a strong woman in this ministry and showing other people that um, God can do things for us, even in tragedy, at any age, all those things. I'm so grateful. I'm so glad you're a priest in this diocese. I'm so glad you're my friend. I know. Listeners, I'm so grateful you have been with us these eight weeks as we have lifted up these powerful women in ministry. We've had lay people. We've had ordained people. We've had all kind of people. And it has been my honor and privilege to share their voices with you. So thank you for that. And listeners, as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does. <laughs>